Good evening, She Rises. Hope you ladies are having a wonderful week. Thursday again, hard to believe we have um, finished the book of Ruth. Good evening, Marianne, coming on to get started. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Melissa. Is it super cold yet in Chicago? Are you guys still getting some warmth? Hi, Catherine. Hi, Melissa. Pasadena, that's where uh, my son and daughter-in-law moved here from. They were in Azusa, outside of Pasadena. Hi, Diana. Hey, Melanie. Hey, Mary. Good evening, Latricia. Not yet. That's good, Melissa. Emily, hi from North Carolina, my home state, where I'm from, or as we call it, North Kakalaki. <laughs> uh, you too, Christy. All right. Well, we are going to go ahead and get started. I was coming on a minute early just to let people get no notified um, for our study tonight. I have not announced our uh, winter Bible study yet. Um, I mentioned it in the community group, kind of praying through. I know what the Lord's given me. Just want to make sure 100% before I make that announcement. So until then, for the next few weeks, I'm going to be doing just some specialized studies in certain sections of Scripture. So let me explain this, and then we're going to get started. For the next two weeks, we're going to do the reality of heaven and hell. By the time I got done writing this lesson, I found it was about a three-hour study. Um, so we are going to have to divide it up. Um, just because that amount of time to just sit and, and dig in online is a long time looking at a computer screen. I won't do that to you. Um, so with that said, tonight um, we're going to be starting with the reality of hell. Not an, not an idea, not a study for some scare tactic to force you to believe free will allows us to make that choice, whether we want to follow God truthfully or whether we're going to walk away. But I do want to prepare you as we pray for the fact that out of all my studies, this will be the heaviest study. When I said in the community group, be prayed up, that's exactly what I meant. We're going to be talking about a very hard topic. I don't do topics for debate for those of you who have studied with me. I own, and I'm not going to pull from other books and I'm not going to share with you my opinion and I'm not going to pull from some other um, person's opinion. I'm solely going to look at scripture. That's just the way I do things. Then you can write down your notes from the scriptures and you can sit and you can pray and you can let just the word of the Lord speak to you. All right. With that said, I also know how much the enemy has fought against the study this week. So that's the other reason I said stay prayed up. There will be enough heaviness in the study that most people will want to just cut off the computer. Um, like an ostrich, it's generally easier for us to bury our head in the sand and say, I just, I don't even want to hear about this. Um, and we also have that free will choice. But it is in the word of God. So if we do that, we're going to miss out on the truth. 
Um, with that said, I'm going to pray. We're going to get started. I promise next week when we look at the reality of heaven for the Christian, it will definitely <laughs> um, be a, a strong ending, keep us a little bit more on the, the lighter side, um, but that doesn't erase the fact that we have to have a conversation about hell. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to just come together across this planet, wherever we are, to just sit at your feet, to dig into your word, to hear what it is that you have to say to us. And Lord, we just ask tonight that you would bind up the enemy that seeks to steal the seeds of your word so that they do not produce a stronger faith. But instead, I pray that you would bless every woman that comes on here. Would you allow the seeds of your word to fall into the fertile soil of her lives, to take root and to produce for you an abundant harvest of faith and righteousness in these last days? Would you bless her as she stays in your field, at your feet, to hear even the difficult words, even the painful words, even the things that at time Father, seem frightful, and we know that you have included them in this time to give us wisdom um, so that we can know not just you truthfully, but the outcome. And Lord, above all, that we are reminded of the blessing, the blessing that there is in the redemption, you as our kinsman redeemer. Now we give you this time, Lord, and we pray that you and you alone would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Sorry, guys. I have some background noise. <laughs> All right. Let's get started. Today, the reality of hell. You see, many are always searching for the answer of what's next when we die? Right. We we often like to discuss that. And for centuries, people have debated and discussed the afterlife. But the truth of it all has already been given to us by the creator of it all. Yet through the generations, it has given way to the trends and the cliches of culture. And now many have no real understanding of the reality of heaven and hell. The fact that there are only two inheritances that await. The question remains, which inheritance is ours? And what is it really like according to scripture? That's what we're going to look at tonight. For what we do know, the one thing that we know for certain is that everyone will exist eternally. Daniel 12 verse 2 tells us this, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. So that sleep in the, the dust is really just a phrase for death, right? Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life, some to shame 
and everlasting contempt. It's the only two options that scripture gives us. There's only two inheritances. Which one is going to be ours? Now, in order to stick, by the way, this is the only time you're gonna get my personal preference. In order to stick with my personal preference of bad news before good news, we are going to start this week with the reality of hell. In other words, does it really exist? Or is it just a state of mind as the new age teaches? Is it actually a place of eternal torment? Or is it just a temporary holding place until someone prays you out or you're completely destroyed? In other words, that's called annihilation. And why was such a horrible place even created to begin with? And would a loving God really send us there to be tormented forever? You know, the truth is there are many misconceptions about hell that are taught in this day. I do want to look at just a few for a minute. I don't have time to cover all the misconceptions taught about hell, but I'm just going to touch on the top six that I often hear about in ministry in life from people either teaching it or speaking it or saying it. And then after I mention these six top misconceptions about hell, we're going to get started digging into scripture. All right. Number one, hell is ruled by Satan and his demons. That is just not true. <laughs> Jesus has dominion over hell. And Jesus holds the keys to hell. Satan and the demons are simply tormented there. They have no power there. They will not be in control there. They are not talking to you. They are not putting people to work. They are simply in their eternal punishment being tormented for eternity. That is it. Number two, this current life is actually hell on earth. Now look, while life is full of pain and difficulties that, by the way, are unleashed by the spiritual forces of hell, I can promise you hell will be way worse than anything this temporary life could ever seek to produce. In fact, the one thing I want you to know is that life, this temporary life, can actually get better, can be an abundant life. Hell will never become that. Number three, only really evil people like Hitler go to hell. Not someone like your grandma Betty who's baking cookies on the weekend for you and your friends. In fact, most people are just good people. I want you to look with me for a minute at James chapter 2. Go with me to the book of James over to chapter 2. I'm only going to read two verses. 
James chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 10 and 11, okay? Make sure you pay attention to what this is saying. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Listen to me. Here's the understanding of this scripture. You could be like Hitler. You could be the murderer, very much destined for hell. And Grandma Betty, who bakes cookies for you and all your friends and serves down at the homeless shelter, well, she could reject Christ and the work of his Holy Spirit in obedience. And she, that means she has other gods before her. You see, our God does not categorize sin like we as humans do. You're as guilty of all the sins, even if you commit one. Why? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Well, if you have them before you, you're also an adulterer. You have committed spiritual adultery against God. You are a murderer because you may teach your children or other people. You will lead them astray ultimately into eternal destruction. You become a liar. Over and over, we begin to see how we start to break down all 10 of the commandments, even if we only break one. Number four, or before I say that, let me tell you this. The truth is that we don't define evil. God's word does. God does, right? All right, number four. Hell doesn't actually exist. It's just a state of mind. Well, here's my question to you on that. So there's no scriptures that ever tell us that. But I will say this. If hell is just a state of mind, some emotion that you feel from the negativity uh, that the New Age likes to teach, then why, as we'll see tonight, did Jesus teach it as a literal eternal destination. Why wouldn't we see abundant scriptures teaching us that it's a state of mind? It's just a thought pattern. There's something that we need to do to change our thought life. Because I'm promising you, by the time we're done going through the Old and New Testament tonight, you won't be able to find it. Number five, hell will just be a party full of sinners and debauchery. I'm not even going to go there. I'm just going to say, send me any scripture or post it here in the comments. All I need is one, just one scripture. Anywhere you can find that hell is going to be a party just full of sinning, where we're going to have a good time committing sins, send me one. That's all I need. And then last, number six, hell is temporary. You're going to see tonight... Um, well, I'm going to just tell you, you'll see something a little different tonight, but 
when we go through this study, for any of you girls that can share with me where you find um, the word in our study tonight, when the word temporary comes up, even a synonym of temporary um, in all the scriptures we look at, I want you to post it for me, okay, so that we have that. But until then, I want you to go to Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25, just verse 46. And here's what he says. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. All right, everlasting punishment. We're going to look at that in a minute. I'm going to break that down. So don't worry about it so that you understand the root words and the meanings of this. But those are just six of the main misconceptions. My hope is you can write those down. You could come back and listen to them again so that when this is all done, what I hope you find at the end of the study is you're able to answer according to Scripture alone the answers to those misconceptions that are taught that maybe you personally believe or someone's taught you, right? Then you'll have a little bit of more understanding in depth about hell itself. But... Now, I want to dig into the scriptures, okay? This is where we're going to get in, and we're just going to start looking at hell. And so in order to do that, I want to start back at the very beginning of time so that we can once again hear the command that above all else, Satan tries to distort and erase, all right? He's very good at distorting anything and everything that God says and talks about and ultimately just trying to erase it. So I want you to go with me to Genesis 3. A lot of you girls that study with me know for some reason the Lord keeps taking us back to Genesis 3 in almost every lesson. It's really because this is the root of our problem. All right? The root of that tree, the root of our problem, that root, which is sin, right? We keep going back to the root of it. All right, Genesis 3, 1 through 4. Just going to read the first four verses. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. According to verse 3, you can type this in for me. According to verse 3, what is the actual reality stated of what will happen if they disobey God? Type it in for me. What is the reality stated of what will happen if they disobey and eat of the tree in the center of the garden? What is it? Hopefully you're already typing. Hopefully you already notice that they say God's command. If you do this, you, that's right, Diana, you will die. They will die. Now, I want to look at the root word of that word, that Hebrew word for die, that's actually used there. That word is muath, so M-U-W-T-H. That's the Hebrew word used here. Here's what it literally means, to perish, to have one executed, to slay. 
It is basically capital punishment. Of course, humanity is going to rail against consequences, against those things. I mean, you're literally talking about death. He said, you will die. So death itself is the punishment. Now look, granted, we see the command. We see the punishment. You will die. But what it does not teach us yet is what happens to the one who dies. It just tells us what the actual result of sinning is. All right, now tell me, looking at that same set of scriptures, what does Satan respond with? When she makes the statement, we will die, what is Satan's response back to her? What does he say? You will not surely die. In other words, God's not going to punish you and give you consequences. By the way, Eve, what kind of loving God that you're in a relationship with would actually do something like that? I want you to just think about that, Eve. Stand right here and let's start to think. A loving God would not do that. Get rid of that negative thought. I mean, I'm just bringing it into modern day terms. That negative energy, just you don't need to listen to things like that, Eve. No, loving God, you know what? He would only have good things planned for you. In fact, if you do this, he realizes you're actually just going to become more like him. You're going to be more like God. And see, that's a positive thing for you, Eve. He knows there would be something better for you. And see, Eve now starts to doubt God's word. Why would a loving God put that type of punishment upon me? And then we begin to pontificate. Let's go a little deeper into what die could mean. Maybe death doesn't really mean what he said, right? Look, the reason I'm telling you girls this is the root, the root of the conversations and the doubt are the root that started this all in the garden. And Satan does not come up with new ideas. He may repackage them, but he's not going to change it. See, it's these truths that will cause people to run away. They don't want to hear the reality that you will die, right? It becomes the negative idea, and we don't want to stay and sit and worship the Lord in truth for the reality of what he spoke. Now, Eve has opened herself up to begin to doubt that death and punishment would be a part of anything of her God. But I want you to now look with me at Ezekiel, all right? Yeah, that's true, Melissa. How dangerous, though. She was just answering the question, right? Because that is such a true point. This is the danger 
of dangerous conversations, right, that we just stick around for. And instead of answering the question with, no, we will die. I'm done with the conversation, Lucifer, and leaving, she takes the bait and continues to have this conversation built upon a doubt and a lie, right? So this is so important for us to understand who are we having conversations with? Who are we having conversations with? Ezekiel. Go to the book of Ezekiel to chapter 18, verse 4. All right? He's going to reiterate for us the exact same thing we've been told from the garden. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. And the soul who sins shall die. So it's here that we begin with the reality of death as punishment and consequence. And this is not just death, by the way, for certain souls, right? What does Romans 6.23 tell us? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, all are under punishment. And that punishment is death for our own rebellion. All right. Look, I want to stop here for one second, because even if all of us that are sitting here tonight, all of us that are sitting here tonight come to an agreement that, yes, we will not argue that death is the consequence for sin. It was Ezekiel 18:4, Stacy. Even if we all come to that agreement, yes, Stephanie, I agree. None of us is going to, I hope, not live within reality that death actually exists. Like death is not some made up fairy tale that people can come in that are in denial of God and say death doesn't even exist. We know death exists, right? So we're not going to argue that point. But here's what I'm going to say. Even if we acknowledge that, yes, death is the reality, it is the punishment of sin, what next? Because it doesn't really tell us yet from the punishment of sin. Yes, it tells us death is coming, but what's going to happen after death? Well, in order to now move into that understanding, we're first going to have to look for the first mention in Scripture of anything that ties to death. So I'm going to need you to be patient with me because we're going to look at several Scriptures tonight. All right? All right? So we're going to start still in Genesis and I want you to go to Genesis 37, verse 35. Genesis 37, verse 35. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I shall go down into the grave. To Sheol is the Hebrew word there. To my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. This is the first mention that we're going to see of a word tied back to the word death. Numbers. Go with me now to Numbers chapter 16. And I'm just going to read starting at verse 30 through 33. 
But if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that, that belongs to them and they go down alive into Sheol or the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah and all their goods, and they went down alive into Sheol, the pit, and the earth closed over them, and they perished among the assembly. All right, go over to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. And I'm just going to read verse 22. Here's what the word of the Lord says. For a fire is kindled in my anger, and it shall burn to the lowest hell. It shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. First Samuel. Go with me to First Samuel. Hopefully somebody, thank you girls for typing these scriptures so people can look back at them. First Samuel 2, 6. It says, the Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol, the grave, and brings up. Job 7.9. Job 7.9. As the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to Sheol, the grave does not come up. Psalm 9, verse 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. And the last verse for this section is Psalm 16, verse 10. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. All right, listen, I gave you, I, I could have spent all night going over more scriptures. I narrowed down enough that you would see the consistency in the word being used here. So after the consequence of death is revealed to us, the very next thing mentioned in the Old Testament is Sheol. Sheol. What is Sheol? Well, in the Hebrew word, here's what it literally means. Grave, pit, underworld they're, they're all tied together all right but let's learn a little bit more about them if you go to ecclesiastes so ecclesiastes um chapter 9 sorry i was trying to find where it was verse 10 here's what it says Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going in Sheol. Okay, so what does Ecclesiastes tell us about Sheol, about the grave? Well, here's what we know about it. It is a place where there is no working. There is no hope there is no planning there is no knowledge or understanding 
And there is no wisdom. Now go with me to Job. To the book of Job, 26, verse 5. 26, verse 5 in Job. The dead tremble. Those under the waters, so there's Sheol, and those inhabiting them. Verse 6, right after, Sheol is naked before him, and destruction has no covering. It is an eternal state of shame, because it is the punishment for sin. Just as in the garden, when they were left uncovered, Absolutely, Marion. Still, the Hebrew word is Sheol. So underworld, grave, pit is the realm of the dead. Perfect. That's just another translation where they translated it realm. Realm, remember I said everything is tied together. So that's perfect. Thanks for sharing that. So some of you, like Marion, may have realm of the dead. It still means grave, pit, or underworld. It's the the encompassed realm of where the dead that that have are in punishment dwell. All right. So last thing, I was thinking um, what he just listened to here. Sheol's naked. That shame. It reveals in the Hebrew as we talk about it a state of deep anguish. And I keep thinking, yeah, what deep anguish there must be and never feeling at peace or having a hope for a future again, never being able to understand truth, never having any purpose again, constantly feeling anguish and sorrow. Stay in Job, but flip over to chapter 10, 21 through 22. So Job chapter 10, 21 and 22. It says, before I go to the place from which I shall not return, to the land of darkness and the shadow of death, a land as dark as darkness itself, as the shadow of death without any order, where even the light is like darkness. Why? Because there's no light there. See, if these are just some of the descriptions for the grave, for Sheol, for the pit, well, then where do we get our understanding today of what we actually call Hades or hell? All right? Well, in order to discover that, we're now going to have to leave the Old Testament and enter into the New Testament. So I first want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 11. It's going to be the first place we get exposed. Matthew chapter 11, verse 23. Matthew chapter 11, verse 23. And it says, and you, Capernaum, who were exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Stay in Matthew, but flip over to chapter 16 with me and look at verse 18. 
verse 18. This is what it says. And I say that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Finally, I want to look at Luke in the gospel of Luke chapter 16. And I want to look at 22 and 23. So it was that the beggar died and was carried away by the angels to Abram's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. All right, let's stop here for a minute because I need you to understand something so you know what just happened here, okay? The whole time we were in the New Testament, we were reading in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word for death, grave, the pit, the underword is Sheol. We just moved to the New Testament. So we just took the word Sheol and we basically translated it into Greek where the word now becomes Hades. You're now reading the exact same thing we've been reading from the Old Testament, but you're reading it in Greek. And that word now becomes Hades, but we're still talking about Sheol. We're still talking about the grave. We're still talking about the pit, all tied to the underworld. All right? So the word Hades here in the Greek form still means the grave, the pit, the underworld world tied to hell it's all tied to hell but again we're going to discover something shortly if you look at the book of acts chapter 2 and just verse 27 it says this is a repeat okay so when i read it to you earlier in psalm i said you will not leave my soul in sheol now i'm going to read it to you in acts because it's written in the greek for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. See, we have the exact same verse from the Old Testament, but the word there has to move from Sheol to Hades because we're moving from Hebrew to Greek. So we're not really coming up with something new here. Hell in and of itself, death, grave, the pit, is not some New Testament concept, no matter what some hip new relevant pastor or Christian who thinks we have to market Jesus in heaven as a product tries to tell you. All right? We are still keeping the same concept that is mentioned dozens of times in the Old Testament. We're bringing it into the Greek, into the New Testament. All right. So I just want to make sure you have that understanding so you not so you don't start thinking, oh, we're talking about something new. Or there is a false teaching, um, even among Judaism, that'll say, well, hell, Hades is never really talked about in the Old Testament. That's just not true. It's called Sheol and Sheol and Hades are the same thing. All right, let's move on. We still got stuff to cover. Based on that scripture I just read to you in Acts and Psalms, though, let me ask you a question. Why would the righteous 
meaning the believers who have not rejected Christ, who have not rejected the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, why would they not be abandoned? That word literally means to be left alone. Why would they, they not be abandoned in this place from God? Okay, in other words, they will not be abandoned to the grave. The believer, the righteous, they will not be abandoned and left alone to the grave. Why? Because it's solely a place for the wicked. It is the punishment. Listen, I want to look at a couple of scriptures here to help give you a deeper understanding. All right. All right. Again, in the book of Matthew, chapter 25. Okay. Go to Matthew, chapter 25. I'm going to look at two verses with you, starting at verse 41 and then 46. All right. Then he will say, to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now drop down to verse 46. And these, these are the disobedient, those who reject God, Christ, and his work. And these will go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous into eternal life. All right, now go with me to the book of Psalm. We're going to go back to the Old Testament for a second. Psalm 9, verse 17. We read this earlier. I want to remind you of it. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. This is a good warning for us, America. And for every other nation that comes on to listen to the word of God, if we forget God, if we reject him, if we start to walk away and live a life of disobedience, rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit, we will be turned in to hell. That means that would be our inheritance. Finally, go with me to the book of Revelation chapter 20. Okay, because this is going to be a key, and I'm just going to read verses 4 and 5. And this is going to be another key point for us. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, so this is going to be moving into the Antichrist, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead, so this is all the wicked, all the unbelieving, all the disobedient, they did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Okay, look. Back in Matthew 25, 41 through 46, who can remember? Who did I just tell you? According to those scriptures, who was Hades? Who was hell? Hell actually created for? Was it for humanity? Was hell created for humanity? Yes or no? It's a simple yes or no question according to what we've read now in the scripture. Was it? 
No. Hell was never created for humanity. Not for one human. Hell was only created for Lucifer, for Satan and his demons, because of their rebellion. Our good God, who loves us, did not create hell for humanity. He told us in Matthew it, who specifically it was only created for. Therefore, who will end up in the devil's abode, meaning his home, his punishment? Who will end up there? All of the wicked. All of the wicked. I want to stop here for a second. Generally, I don't have time to get into conversations because of time. But listen, I personally never want to see a statement where you say you are too far gone. Because that is a lie from Satan. That's like going back into the garden having a conversation with him. And you're going to see in about 10 to 15 minutes why that statement from the enemy is a flat-out lie according to the Word of God. Okay? There is no sin upon this earth except one that you could ever commit that will make you too far gone. None that are outside of the realm of forgiveness and eternal life. All right? That is a lie from Satan that when we begin to study hell or we hear about death as Eve did in the garden, that he wants us to get afraid and feel hopeless and then run away and give up. That's not why we're studying hell. <laughs> All right. I just want to say that there's not one of you women that is sitting here tonight that is too far gone. I don't care what you have done on this earth at all. All right. Back to our scripture. We understand from scripture that Hades and hell is only created for Satan and his demons. Why? Because of their anarchy. Because of their rebellion. Because of their disobedience. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. We're actually, that's part of our scripture tonight about hell. So if you'll hold on, you can let me know if you've ever blasphemed the Holy Spirit. So there's clearly a reason the Lord has you in this lesson tonight, <laughs> no doubt. All right, so death, Satan, demons, because of their anarchy, because of their rebellion, because of their disobedience to Yahweh, therefore, death only entered in because we chose to rebel, like Satan. I can't even tell you that death existed in a sense. Nowhere in Scripture does it tell us it did with Satan and the demons. They were just going to be cast into hell. Death itself entered in because of our own rebellion. So we don't get to blame God for that. We don't get to say, why would a loving God do that? We actually, as we learned in Esther need to be looking in the mirror and pointing the finger at ourselves and saying, why did we allow that to enter in when we were warned? When we were warned. All right. We made our own choice. We chose to dwell with Satan. So therefore, his home 
will naturally become our home. Why? Because we preferred his ways. Even still, even still knowing all this truth, God set and plan a motion. Or set in <laughs> God set in motion a plan that we didn't have to be bound to Hades or to hell. But we could return to our abode with him as we learned this last five weeks in Ruth. If, if we would repent and return. Of course. If we now reject that plan as well, well then, we choose that we want our dwelling to be with Satan and the demons. And God actually gives us what we want, not what he wants. So what is now the reality of Satan and the demons abode? Because that's how we have to look at it. It is their home, their place of torture, and punishment. How is it described? What will hell actually be like if we reject Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit and instead choose to just join Satan ourselves? Well, we're only going to look at Scripture. I'm not writing a book about this. I'm not going to open up anybody's book. I just want to hear what God himself says. I'm not going to sit and pontificate with you of does God speak plainly or clearly? His voice is very clear. What he says, he means. And if he means it, he says it. So we're going to break down several scriptures tonight. I'm going to break them down into their original root meaning. It is going to be very important as we finish up this study tonight that you write these scriptures down that you write these root words down because if not, you could fall prey to exactly what's happening in our world today where they are erasing hell or they are twisting it and distorting it to their own destruction. All right. We're actually going to start back in Isaiah. <laughs> All right. Isaiah chapter 33. And we're going to get a description to begin with. From the Old Testament, the sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? That word devouring also is translated consuming. In the Hebrew, the word is akal, A-K-A-L, A-K-A-L. That word literally means to devour, to eat, to consume and partake of the fire, meaning it is never satisfied. Let me explain this to you. This is a fire that eats, that devours, that laps at the flesh, at the soul. And it can never fully consume it or burn it because it's never satisfied. It needs more and more and more and more. That's literally, in the Hebrew, what it is saying to you. The word continual, everlasting, 
The word Hebrew here is Aulam, O-W-L-A-M, Aulam. I want you to type in the comments for me. Wherever you see the word temporary, or if you find a word that is even a synonym to temporary, okay? Because I think God's pretty clear here. But because people like to debate and pontificate and kind of come up with their own explanation, I even will go for a synonym. That means temporary for Aulam. All right? Here's what it actually means. Eternity. Perpetual. Without end. Forever. Continuous. Indefinite. Out of all those words I gave you, give me any of them that would even be a synonym or would line up with the word temporary. An everlasting fire, an everlasting punishment, a continuous and indefinite one without end. That's what Isaiah says to us about the fire who could dwell there all right Matthew go to Matthew chapter 8 Matthew 8 I want you to look at verse 12 with me now but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth all right the first words here, cast out. Ekbalo is the Greek, ekbalo. It literally means to expel, to send away, to thrust out, to banish. You are not included. You are no longer extended an invitation. You are cast out. Where? Into darkness. The Greek there, skotos. It means night, blindness. It is the same word used in Matthew 6, 23. Weeping, kleothes, kleothes in the Greek, which means welling or lamenting. And then the last word, gnashing, brigmos in the Greek. It means grating of teeth in extreme anguish, utter despair, growling, biting growling, biting. Listen to me. You, you think about the description given here and what it means to throw you into total darkness where you are eternally blind. You will never see again. By the way, for the people that think it's a party, you're not going to see people in hell. Do you understand what these words are telling you? You will never see again. But here's what you will do. You will hear. The weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's like the demons. It is the growling. It is the biting. It is the gnawing at the flesh from the extreme pain and torment, the anguish. It is an eternal feeling of utter despair and hopelessness. Let me tell you something. For someone like me who spent most of her life and at times it can be thrown back, to suffer from anxiety attacks or panic attacks. I know what it's like to suffer for that for a few hours or a few days. And that is horrible. I don't wish that on my worst enemy. 
This is an eternity. It will not end for you. It will not end. To hear the weeping and gnashing of teeth, not to see anyone, the feeling of being utterly alone. Look with me now at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And I'm just going to look at verses 42. Sorry. Matthew, yeah, 13. Make sure I had the right thing written down. And 42 and verse 50. Okay, 42 and verse 50. Here's what the word of the Lord says. And I will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be welling, that's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Down to verse 50. And cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be weeping or the welling and gnashing of teeth. I mean, Jesus just keeps repeating himself here. I, I don't understand why we buy into Satan's lies, even using other people's mouths to make us think, is like that what you really meant? And I mean, you repeat yourself over and over again. Sandra, it absolutely makes us fearful, and it should. But we have hope. <laughs> and that's what makes heaven all the more beautiful. And that's what makes the cross all the more merciful, right? This is definitely not one of those things I'm not going to tell us we shouldn't be fearful over. It is a place of fear. And we're not going to sugarcoat hell because the truth is we're not selling Jesus as a product. And we're not even selling Christianity as a product. Those who will come shall come. But we want to know the truth because I'm going to tell you by the end of this lesson tonight, I hope your eyes are fully open to understand why we want to know the truth. All right, blazing furnace. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm not going to go back into the root words. You should already have them written down. It's pretty self-explanatory now. Matthew 25. Go with me to Matthew 25. Matthew has a lot to say about Hades. Matthew 25, 30, and 46. All right, starting at verse 30. And cast the unprofitable servant <laughs> into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And verse 46. And these will go away into everlasting punishment. For the righteous into eternal life. Look, eternal, the Greek word is aionois, A-I-O. N-I-O-S. Here's what that word means. Let me know if there's a synonym for temporary. Forever, everlasting, without end, never to cease. Everlasting punishment. Now, there's no mention of it being Temporary, of you only experiencing it for a short time until you no longer exist. Punishment, Greek word, kolias, K-O-L-A-S-I-S. -S. It means torment. 
basically torture, penalty. All right, let me help you understand something. We now know death is our punishment. Why is it punishment? Why would death, really, why would death just ceasing to exist be punishment? That's not really punishment. You just cease to exist, right? All right, you cease to exist. You are no more. He could have struck us down in the garden, said, I'm done with you. You're dead. You're annihilated. You're over. We're done. For most people, that's probably not very fearful. That, okay, whatever. Um, I'm pretty sure he could have said that, or he could have just done that and started over. No, he said death is a punishment, right? That means dying, staying dead is a punishment. Therefore, this is why 1 John 1, or I'm sorry, 1 John 4 Verse 18 tells us that perfect love cast out fear. Why? Because fear has to do with punishment. If you're afraid, then you don't know perfect love yet. Why? Because when perfect love comes, you don't have to fear punishment. Why? Because this punishment that we're discussing tonight is not reserved for you. You have overcome it because of Jesus Christ. Yes, you can learn about this because you need to know the reality and you need to desire the urgency to not see others here. But this punishment is not reserved for you. Therefore, perfect love, which has come in Jesus Christ, cast out fear. Fear only exists if you have to fear something. You don't fear annihilation. You don't fear just not existing anymore. You would fear death because death is tied to eternal punishment, eternal torment, torture, suffering. The consequence that Satan has deceived the world and many false religions into now buying into. So you're not really losing that much, right? And yes, being separated from Christ from all eternity is ultimate death. And it would be horrible, but if you cease to exist, you don't even know you're separated from him, so it wouldn't matter. This type of separation is the type of separation that for eternity you will fully recognize and understand. All right. Luke 16. Remember we read that earlier about the rich man and Lazarus? The words, he said, I am in torment from these flames. I am in agony. Okay, let's look at what those words mean from Luke 16, 23 and 24. In torment, basanios is the Greek word. It literally means torture. Acute pain, the acute pain of a disease. <laughs> To think of someone being tortured is probably the worst thing we could think about on this earth next to the acute pain of watching someone you love suffer from a disease like cancer. In hell, this is exactly what it's like, except for there's not going to be a cure. If your hope is, I hope to just die to get away from this death and this pain, I mean, this pain of this disease. I just want this torture to be over. There's not that hope for you. It will be constant. 600 billion years from now, when the hope could be, it would be over. It won't. There will be no end to the torment and the torture and the anguish and the pain and the blindness 
and the horrific sounds of the weeping and the welling and the gnashing of teeth that you can't see, but you will feel and hear. The rich man said, I am in agony. Odenio, O-D-Y-N-A-O. That word means sorrow, intense pain, distress. From the flame, the literal flames were causing this agony, this severe heat. It's why he wanted just a little bit of water, anything, send anything to me for any type of relief. And God is telling him there is no relief given. There is no contact with this realm. Second Thessalonians, go with me to Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. Um, chapter one, verse nine. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Listen to me, that word, I'm not going to repeat eternal. We already know what it means. There's no meaning or synonym for temporary, but destruction, that just means punishment, ruin, away from the Lord. All right, destruction as in what we try to bring it to mean here on the earth of, of if I destroy something, I don't, see, I don't personally see it again. Uh, the point of the flames and the torment is to seek to destroy you, and yet they're never extinguished. They're never consumed. So it's a constant perpetual state of trying to be destroyed, though you're never literally destroyed. I mean, that's horrible. In fact, now look at Mark 9:43. Mark 9:43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Never be quenched. The unquenchable fire, asbestos, is the Greek word. It means not extinguished, perpetual. There are no fire extinguishers or living water, cold water, refreshing water in hell. There will be nothing. Here on earth, we have something we could reach if someone was burning in a home or a car or somewhere. That's not an option. And the inheritance of hell for eternity. Now we're going to look in Revelation. We have a little bit more to go, guys. As I said, it's a pretty in-depth study for those who really want to know the reality of hell. Revelation 14, 11. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image. And whoever receives the mark of his name, no rest. In other words, catch this in the Greek. You will not sleep. If you think maybe I can just fall asleep to get out of this pain, to no longer hear these sounds, to deal with what I have to deal with, just a little rest. He says, no, that's not an option in hell. 
There is no rest day or night. And by the way, since there's no light in hell, this is a time phrase for you as a human to understand the reality. Whether it would be like day or night, for eternity, there is no rest. There is no sleep. There is no escape from your new reality. There is no do-over. Revelation 19.20. Revelation 19.20. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. And these two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with Sulfur, brimstone, theon is the Greek word here, T-H-E-I-O-N, which simply means sulfur. Hear me out. Hear me out. Have you ever experienced sulfur? So not only are you left in hell with the horrific smell of rotting, burning flesh, but now sulfur, like gagging rotten eggs, the stench, the filthy stench forever surrounding you by your nostrils. If you have weak gag reflexes like me, it's almost like this perpetual, never-ending feeling of wanting to vomit. Right? There is no good description to give you about Hades or about hell. So if we're looking for one, we're going to be sorely disappointed or we're going to create our own image of eternity. And finally, the very last verse on this, Revelation 20, verse 1. And then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. That word in the Greek, abyssos, simply means abyss, bottomless pit. Deep, unbounded. I could have gone on with more scriptures. That, by the way, use the exact same Greek words, so the meaning's not going to change. But hopefully I spent enough time tonight from the Old to the New Testament giving you consistent scriptures that repeat themselves over and over again with the actual meaning in the Hebrew and the Greek. So based on scripture alone, not my opinion, not a book by an actual pastor, just based on the scriptures alone and the original words used, what do we now know about hell? For anybody who stayed on (laughs) to really find out the reality and why the Lord wanted me to teach this study for such a time as this, it is where the godless dwell, who themselves have chosen to follow Satan and his word and ideas over God and his. It is an actual place of everlasting burning. 
in a blazing furnace of burning sulfur with a fire that never goes out and is never quenched. The torment from the flames and the total darkness cause continual weeping and gnashing of teeth. Cast away from his presence forever where you can never cry out, lift up a prayer, have a hope of redemption. The light cannot dwell there and there is no solid foundation beneath you. Therefore, a bottomless pit is like an eternal freefall of never being able to find stability and security again. No wonder it will only produce a constant eternal state of fear, anxiety, sorrow, hopelessness, and distress, and even restlessness. Let's look at one other passage, though, in Scripture, because something's about to change here that I want you to pay attention to. There's a new word that's about to be introduced for the first time ever in the Bible, and it happens in the New Testament. And it is the word introduced by Jesus, Yeshua himself. I want you to go with me to Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verse 22. Matthew 5, verse 22. Here's what it says. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool, well, he shall be in danger of Hellfire. That word used here for hellfire in the Greek is Gehenna. Gehenna is the word actually used here for the first time. And it is Jesus who is going to use this word. And there is a reason why he is going to use this word. To the book of Matthew, which was a letter written to the Jews. You see, Gehenna would be a place that the Jews themselves were extremely familiar with. It would be the place that Jesus was going to point them to to say, this is the closest thing to hell on earth. It is the foreshadowing of what the reality of hell will literally be like. See, it was stated here in direct comparison to Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom south of Jerusalem, where the filth, the trash, and the dead animals were cast out and burned. It was known to the Jews as the perpetually burning rubbish dump, the trash pile. Not just that. Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom, was associated with the place where people burned their children as human sacrifices to their gods. It's where the wicked would dwell, the filth. In fact, I want to go to the book of Jeremiah, just so you understand from the Old Testament, why Israel 
would have fully recognized what Jesus was saying here. Jeremiah chapter 7, and I'm just going to look at verse 31. And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom. So there's Gehenna. To burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. You see, we also know from studying this place that this was the dumping ground for sewage and filth. And in that place, it was crawling with maggots and worms. They were constantly feeding on the rotting flesh and the filth and the trash. In fact, that would make sense if you go with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, and just look at verse 24, why Isaiah makes mention of this. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses, that's the dead bodies, of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm does not die, and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. In other words, hell is literally like the place where the maggot and the worm could feed on you for eternity. It could never die because it would constantly have a source to feed it, to nourish it. Just like Gehenna, the rubbish, the heat pile was constantly being burned with dead bodies, dead animals, trash, filth, that the worm and the maggot could continuously feed upon. And yet the stench was sickening. It was awful. So it is in these scriptures that we understand more in depth why Jesus chose to use the word Gehenna as a symbol of the punishment. And since the stench of death and the wickedness of human burning to their own false gods was there, well, it was the smoke that always rose from there and it was an example of hell itself. So I want to ask you this question. We've looked tonight at Sheol and Gehenna. I mean, I'm sorry, Sheol and Hades, which are the exact same thing. And then we looked at the new word Gehenna, which just literally means hell. The word Gehenna just means hell. So I want to ask you a question. Are Sheol and Hades, Hades and hell the same place? Are they the exact same place? Go with me to Revelation chapter 20. Okay? Revelation chapter 20. And I'm going to read for you verses starting at 13. We're going to read 13 through 15. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. That's hell. This 
is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, hell. So the answer actually is no. It would seem not. Hades will actually be thrown into hell. Therefore, it can't be the same thing. So then what is Sheol? What is Hades? I just told you it's the grave. Literally the holding spot, the pit, the place of torment where the dead are reserved and held until judgment day to be thrown into hell. That is the second death. Therefore, this is why Jesus would say to the believer, today you will be with me in paradise. He will not abandon our soul to Sheol, to the grave. Why? We are not to be held in punishment or torment. We are to be in paradise, safe, at rest with him. Therefore, as we look at scripture as a whole, we definitely come to understand that Hades and hell are not just a current state of mind for you here on earth. No, they are literal places with literal descriptions for literal angels and humans who have literally rebelled and rejected God and the Holy Spirit just as the demonic angels did in the beginning. And look, while many scholars like to focus on the current holding place of Hades as the place of torment and hell being a final eternal destination, it matters not to me. Because it's like being held in the waiting room to simply enter the operating room. Both are connected and neither will change the outcome of what is going to transpire. For you see, when you die as the wicked, there is no resting in peace. The cliche that we like to use in our day, there is no rest day or night. So we actually lie with our mouths if we declare to people who have rejected Christ if they believe that they are resting in peace. Is this a popular truth? No, but I'd rather speak the truth than be guilty of your blood because I lied to you. Scripture tells me there will be no rest day or night for the wicked who will stay in the grave. Their souls are in Hades in a holding pit of torment and darkness until the day of judgment when they are cast into hell, the lake of fire. For you see, what is not ever mentioned in Scripture is that your prayers or some works that you do will save another one out of the grave or the pit of their holding place and help them get into heaven. It will not change the eternal consequence once they take their last breath and enter in to the holding pit of Sheol and Hades for their own sins 
You see, God is not setting his eternal agenda based on your preference or mine. And he's not basing it on rather we're comfortable with the reality of sitting here listening to what the actual outcome would be. I don't come on to teach the word for a following, ever. I don't really care who comes and listens to me. I'm not trying to build a following. I'm trying to point you to Yeshua and Jesus the Christ because I don't ever want you suffering in this real place for eternity where I know there's no hope for you to now escape. That's when it's hopeless. It's never hopeless here on earth where you're still drawing another breath. Ever. You see, the truth is, he's not teaching us about this to see if we're comfortable with the reality of the outcome. Because the truth is, we would be as comfortable with that as the reality of my mom was with being told at 45 that she had terminal cancer. And yet the truth needed to be said to us. Another reality we must grasp instead of trying to create eternity ourselves is that hell itself is not built on the magnitude of our sins, but on the understanding of the only sin that is the gravest of them all. Listen, this is what I was telling you about earlier. If you believe you've committed the unpardonable sin, if someone tells you, if Satan uses someone to tell you you've committed the unpardonable sin, let me go ahead and tell you, you can know if you've committed the unpardonable sin. All right? I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to look at the unpardonable sin. Because I'm gonna, I want you to grasp today, I hope, the understanding of why would God send someone to hell. Well, first of all, as you've already learned tonight, he's only sending us there because we wanted it. He's not sending us there because he wants it. Therefore, you're blaming the wrong person and you're making the wrong statement when you say, why would a loving God send someone there? Uh, well, a loving God wouldn't just send someone there. A loving God has given us free will and he's simply sending you where you've asked to be. Why would you want to be in his presence eternally if you can barely stand to be in his presence here on earth and serve him? Why would you want an eternity of having to obey and worship him there? And so it would only make sense he would give us what we want for the choice that we made. But look, Matthew 12 31 and 32, Matthew 12, 31 and 32. Therefore, I say to you, every sin, every, did you hear that? Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the son of man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. All right, now look with me at the exact same verse, Mark 3, and I want to look at 28 and 29. 
He's going to repeat the same thing for us. So shortly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of man, whatever blasphemies they utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, is subject to eternal condemnation. Look, the greatest sin, the only thing that ultimately gives you hell is the rejection of God's gift and his son and the work of his Holy Spirit. Because it's not just believing in the name of Jesus. Belief leads to obedience. So if you believe, you don't just believe in his name, you believe his word. Okay? You believe it all. That's why we talked about many will call him Lord but still be cast into hell. Why? Because they didn't really believe because they proclaimed his name, but they didn't believe his words. So listen, the truth is, if loving God is the greatest commandment, even before loving your neighbor, right? You don't even know how to properly love your neighbor unless you love God first. So if loving God is the greatest commandment, then rejecting him and the work of his Holy Spirit is the greatest sin. For it is the only sin that can never be forgiven. Why? <laughs> because the Holy Spirit is the seal. Because you've rejected the only thing given for the forgiveness of sin. It's the only thing that can convict you of your sin and rebellion. Look with me at John. What does John chapter 16 verse 8 say? John 16 verse 8. What does it say to us? And when he has come, this is the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Judgment, hell. So in other words, the greatest sin is you dying without the Holy Spirit. You've blasphemed him, meaning you don't believe that you need the Holy Spirit. You don't believe that you have to obey the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts you to lead you to repentance. Therefore, if you have the Holy Spirit and you've sinned or you've blasphemed the Lord Jesus or you've done something wrong, the Holy Spirit convicts you, you know you're free to repent if you genuinely mean it and you are going to find forgiveness. He just said all sins will be forgiven. You're not special. You haven't come up with some unknown sin upon this earth that no one's ever committed. <laughs> I mean, really, we are not that special. So the reality is, I don't care what sin you have committed, it will be forgiven. Unless you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, meaning you say the Holy Spirit doesn't really exist and I don't need him. Well, then you're rejecting Christ because the Holy Spirit is the very spirit of Christ. Therefore, if you reject the Holy Spirit, you die apart from the Holy Spirit, which is the seal of salvation. Therefore, we willingly choose infinite punishment because we have infinitely rejected Christ. Finally, in closing tonight, the question we must ask ourselves after this lesson is, 
what is the real danger in erasing hell or not talking about it? If it just makes us uncomfortable and afraid, or if it actually turns people off from Christianity. Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to read one last scripture for you tonight, which was probably the most convicting to me of them all when the Lord had me write this lesson. And I want you to go with me to Matthew 22. And if you're going to listen to anything tonight in this entire lesson, my prayer is you listen to this one thing, because this is the ultimate message that the Lord has for us in this day, in this generation, for such a time as this. Go with me to close tonight to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. I'm going to read. I'm going to close with verses 1 through 14. And I want you to listen. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by a parable and said, The kingdom of heaven, so this is eternal life, is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And he sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. He sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. And then he said to his servants, highlight that word, underline that word, because here's what I want you to understand. That's you and me. So he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways, and they gathered together all who they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on wedding gar a wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Look at verses 11 and 12 there. I want you to focus on this. Because again, I said tonight as we close, if you don't take any other lesson away, even if you continue to wrestle with the Lord on everything his word clearly and plainly says about the reality of hell, I don't want you to miss this. What two things stand out to you in verses 11 and 12 about the man invited by the servants to the wedding day, to the wedding banquet. What two things? Pay attention, because I don't want you to miss it. There are two key things you need to notice about this man 
that Jesus just told us about here. There is a deeper understanding for his disciples that he wants us to get in this parable. Number one, he was not wearing the right garments. That's exactly right, dude. He was not wearing the right garments. Number two, he actually showed up believing he was invited and he was supposed to be there. This man showed up willingly to the wedding banquet, believing he was supposed to be there because the servants invited him and told him he was supposed to be there. And then he shows up and he's not wearing the right garments. And tell me, friends, what was his response to now learning his reality? He was speechless. That word means shocked. He was shocked. Because what is his eternal state now? Tell me, what is the reality of this man who believes he should be at the wedding banquet? Hell. Hell is his reality. Eternal punishment. So I want to ask you this. Do you think it was loving of the pastor and the church members and those who professed Christianity, who invited him and clearly made him feel comfortable and loved according to his flesh and his own desires of what he wanted to hear, but never really told him the truth? Does it really matter that he stayed at your church? That he liked you as a pastor, gave you the money that you wanted? He wanted to be your friend as a member? Because you see, we must all realize that if we fail to present the whole gospel and the whole truth of God's word and character, whether people like it, whether people want to listen, whether people are going to persecute you and argue with you, then you lead people into a false relationship and into a false sense of security that in the last day will render them speechless. For many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. I never really knew you. For you see, Jesus himself spoke about hell more than any other person in scripture, and he is love. Stacy, he was not saved, but he must have thought he was. Jesus spoke about hell more than any other person in scripture, and he is love. Therefore, Jesus isn't giving us this information to sell you fire insurance. And he's not forcing you to 
follow him through telling you about hell as a tool of fear and intimidation any more than the one who warned you about the reality of cancer or the dangers that lie ahead because of someone else's choices or basic consequences and things that can harm you. No, you see, the one who warns and protects and ultimately saves you from that destruction is the one who actually loves you. The one who lies to you and won't tell you the truth but calls it love actually hates you. And you'll spend eternity feeling and understanding the depth of that hatred. Next week, we will take a look at what he actually offers you instead, though. Once you heed his warning and accept his way, once you see the beauty in the cross in light of the reality of hell, and you'll discover what the cross really meant. And you'll discover the beauty and reality of heaven and what that really means from and for the believer. Until then, may we continue to labor in this harvest field unashamed to warn all about the actual, literal eternal reality of hell because we love them and we don't want anyone there. Then with Paul, we can declare as he did in Acts 20 verses 26 and 27. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I want to thank you girls for hanging in tonight, dealing or digging in with me, as I said, an hour and a half next week, maybe close to an hour and a half. That's why I told you, could you imagine trying to cover the reality of both? We'd need three hours. <laughs> um, look, I know this was heavy hitting. I wanted to start with the reality of hell because you won't understand the beauty and the reality of heaven without understanding what you have literally been redeemed and rescued from. All right. This is the reality. It could be the reality for us if we reject God. It will be the reality for our loved ones and for strangers who reject Christ. And even if we fail to tell them the truth because we're afraid they'll persecute us, mock us, or shun us, may this spur you on to the urgency of understanding their eternal reality. I'd rather have you want nothing to do with me for the rest of my temporary life than to know I lied to you and left you speechless on judgment day to suffer literally for all eternity with no hope of a do-over or escaping. I think just because I have been so blessed with this calling and all of you girls on She Rises, it makes my heart heavy in the seriousness of talking about this. I don't want any of you there. I want you in the eternity of the reality of what we're going to discuss next week. So with that, 
thank you. Go back, listen again, as I told any of you, if you find any scriptures that use the word or a synonym to the word temporary, message me, send them to me. I have not found any, but if you do, I am always open um, for discussion so I can take it before the Lord, spend more time in prayer. Until then, this is the reality um, that I cannot sway from the reality of hell and why it is the urgency, as we learned in Ruth, in these last days, we need to be more serious about our laboring and our obedience in the harvest field to the whole gospel and the truth so that our soul, so that our body is not abandoned to Sheol, to the grave, and then cast into hell at the second death. No, today, whatever day that is for us, that we take our last breath, we can be with him in paradise. I look forward to seeing you girls on She Rises the rest of this week and good Lord willing, returning here next week for our study on the reality of heaven. Blessings.